We are talking about patience. And I'll tell you one thing, you have got to have patience if you're going to live in this world, amen? I mean to tell you, you have got to have patience. Maybe you have started a, a project, excitedly started a project, only then to lose patience when maybe some unexpected complications arose. All of us get impatient. We all make rash decisions when impatience gets the better of us. How many of us? Just about 99.99% would uh, say that they've been in a line before, got impatient, went to another line, and that line was slower than the other line. That's just about my lot in life. I, there's a stoplight down here at our, um, down not far from our church here, and I told my wife, I said, I don't know what it is about that thing. It's demon-possessed. But uh, I promise you, 99% of the time when I drive up there, it turns red. And uh, I don't know, it just, it, it just does. But uh, it's, a, it's an anti-Christian uh, light, I'm sure of it, for sure. But the fact is, we, uh, we all get impatient, and I'm just as impatient as the next person. But there's a more serious concerns upon our life and when it comes to patience. And that is sometimes we get impatient with God. We start serving God, we start going to church, we start reading our Bible, we start, you know, wanting to really do something for God, and then when we don't see a miracle a day, we get a little bit um, upset at God, or we begin to flounder in our Christian life, and so many people just go here and go there, they just lost their patience. You know, the Christian life didn't just cure everything, and sometimes we have issues that are long-standing that... Uh, take some biblical action to make sure that they get taken care of. Others try to be patient by some modification technique. I was getting a little impatient the other day, and my beloved precious wife said, Honey, just breathe. <laughs> just take a big, deep breath. And uh, that's not a bad concept, really, but I will tell you that there are times when breathing deeply doesn't, uh, doesn't work. It's, it's, it's bigger than that. And then other folks uh, try to, you know, just uh, displace the responsibility for impatience and just say, well, you know, I'm just really not a patient person. <laughs> that's just not me. That's just not my, I'm not born a patient person. I would, that's actually very biblical right there. <laughs> you weren't born a patient person. You were born a sinner just like everybody else. And the fact is we are impatient people. And all the seminars of this world and all the books that we might read just simply do not and cannot eliminate our impatience. And the reason is, is because impatience is the result of a fallen world. We are under a curse. That is a fact. This earth is uh, under the, the divine judgment of God, and as a result, it always is poking us. Now, the only way we can find real patience is through the gift of the precious Holy Spirit. That's why biblical patience is so much different than worldly patience. Worldly patience is this resignation that it's all going to be okay. Uh, worldly patience is stoicism. Worldly patience is oftentimes just simply inactivity. And to some, they become passive as a doormat. But biblical patience is the exact opposite of that. It is actually a very active way to live. In fact, the Apostle Paul said we ought to run a race with patience. That sounds like a lot of activity. I tell you what, I can't even run down to the end of the church here without uh, dying, collapsing, lung issues. Uh, because uh, the, But running takes hard work. And the same thing is true. We need to run with patience. It's like a fighter. A patient fighter waits, waits for his turn, and then pop. He wins because he's patient. You come running in on old, uh, that big heavyweight guy, Fury, I think his name is, won that thing. Man, I'm telling you what, you come in on him, flailing your arms, you're going to be laying on the ground in the next second. And uh, you've got to be patient. And uh, uh, we have got to, that's what patience is. Patience is just waiting for God to work. God, I, I'll be active. It is praying. It is waiting on God. It is believing the Word. It is 
memorizing scripture, but that's what patience is, biblical patience. And so uh, we're going to look into part three today and our final on the subject of patience. We can't um, preach on it too much because we're impatient to get at something else. And uh, all right, let's all bow our heads for the prayer if you wouldn't please. Our heads are bowed. Father, we thank you this morning for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I pray now, oh God, this morning that you will meet with us. Lord, my heart is so full and so excited and I'm thrilled, Lord, for the work you've been doing. We have prayed for our leaders. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. You turned it, Lord. Thank you. You've answered our prayer. It's you, God. And we give you all the praise and all the honor. Now, Lord, teach us, we pray, this uh, another uh, part of this wonderful, great truth called patience. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in the New Testament, there are two main words for patience, macrothumia and uh, hupomone, two Greek words, uh, kind of strange-sounding words, and we don't uh, usually do a lot of Greek class here, but they actually are very important, and the word macrothumia has three main ideas in Scripture, and we looked at that a couple of weeks ago, and that is that patience never gives in to negative circumstances. It never retaliates against difficult people. There's no way that you're not going to have difficult people in your life. That's the way we live. But it never stops believing that somehow God will work out His will. That's what He does. Now, we come to the probably the most classic passage in the New Testament on patience, and that is James chapter 5. And so, if you're not there already, turn to James chapter 5. We're going to be looking at that. Last week, we found three ways of the six ways that patience comes. Number one, when we rejoice in the Lord's coming and live in the light of it. Hey, the Lord is coming. How many times has that just calmed my nerves? Hey, honey, the Lord's coming. He's coming right now. This next second, is it worth blowing your fuse? Stop. Just stop. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Number two, recognize the Lord's judgment. Not only is He coming, and that's a great thing, but the fact is, that ought to give us a healthy fear of God because, hey, we want to be obedient to the Lord. Then finally, uh, it is the way to get patience is to receive the Lord's servants, to live in the pattern of these wonderful men and women of God. Patience. The other day, a man was walking through the supermarket, and with all the other restrictions that we have on us right now, he had a screaming baby in his shopping cart. A woman noticed uh, him very calmly repeating, keep calm, Albert. Keep calm, Albert. Finally, with deep admiration for that man's patience, she thought she would brighten his day by just giving him a good word of commendation. She went up to him and said, sir, I, I've, just, I've been watching you and I've just got to commend you. I, your patience with baby Albert. The man looked at her and said, baby Albert, I'm Albert, <laughs> and, uh, and I got to repeat to myself as well, patience, Tim, patience. There's a better way. All right, let's go to number four now, and if you're looking online there, uh, you have it, I'm, the Lord willing, up on your screen, and for those of you here, do we have it? Nope. All right, well, you're just going to have to follow along. Recall the Lord's blessings and live in the joy of that. James chapter 5, verse 11, Behold, we count them happy which endure. Behold, we count them happy which endure. We're just going to stick with verse number 11 here of James 5 today, and we're going to dissect it. We count. That doesn't mean we do the numbers, although in a sense it does. It just means it's common knowledge. Everybody knows this. Experience teaches us whether you're uh, an unbeliever, whether you're a believer, the fact is it's biblical, it's just common sense, common knowledge. People who endure, people who are patient, people who are wise through their trials, people who keep their testimonies, people who stay positive are happy people. That's the point. James said, look, if you want to be happy, just stay patient. Be patient. That's common knowledge. Everybody knows that. That if you want great things to happen in your life, be patient. Patience pays off. Now, we've been told that. 
Maybe you were growing up and your coach told you, be patient now. Just keep working at it. Repet- keep repeating it. Keep repeating it. Patience, patience. Maybe you're a musician and you had to learn how to play that piano. Uh, you may not uh, know this, but I actually studied piano. I did. I didn't study it until I was a, an adult man. Actually, I was a pastor. And our music director at that time, he uh, was a real great guy, but he really didn't have a lot of music uh, knowledge. He really great singer, wonderful guy. But I said, tell you what we'll do. We'll both go to Delta College and uh, we'll take a night class. We'll take pi- piano. I almost said piano. We're going to take piano lessons. And he said, okay, pastor, I'll, I'll, but I'll only go if you go. Okay, I'll go. And uh, I really wanted a guy that could do music, you know, and so we went and I'll be jiggered if that guy didn't quit the class, but I hate quitting, so I finished the whole semester. But I'll tell you one thing, nobody plays hot cross buns like me, and, uh, but I can play them for sure. But tell you what, I didn't go very far because I'm not patient. At least I'm not patient with playing the piano, that's for sure. But patience paid off, whether it be sports, whether it be music, career, you've got to be patient. Relationships, finances. I mean, uh, some folks are jumping all around, and it just doesn't pay off. Here's what Pastor James says. He says, now think about it. Just think about it. Just go back over your life and think about patient people. He said, people who embrace life with patience, they just get blessed. Now, that's common knowledge, he's saying. But we know there's even more than common knowledge. It is also biblical knowledge. God pours His grace on patient people. Biblically patient people are flooded with the joy of God. They are flooded with the peace of God. It is a tremendous reminder that people who are blessed are people who have patience. Now, some people are impatient, and regardless of moral concerns, regardless of biblical concerns or ethical concerns, it makes no difference. We're just going to we're going to do what we want, and we're going to grab the gusco. We're going to do it now. That's not God's plan. God's plan is to be biblical and to wait on God and to do it the right way, to do it biblically, to do it morally, to do it legally. And then when we do that, it pays. Patience pays. And that's what he's trying to say here, that patience always has a reward. Patience, biblical patience pays. In the waning days of the earthly ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the disciples needed to get some things settled. And so they said to the Lord, they said, Lord, um, can we talk to you for a second? And uh, you'll find that in Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verse 28. Then Peter, and he was often talking and he was representing James and John and his brethren. He said, lo, or think about this, we've left all. Probably a little overstatement, but for the most part, true. Lord, we have left all, and we have followed you. And he wasn't complaining. He said unto them, Verily I say unto you. Now, here's Jesus' response to Peter. Peter was saying, You know what? Lord, we love you. We, uh, we honor you. We want to serve you. And uh, we've, we'll do whatever's asked of us. And we're not complaining. No way, shape, or form are we complaining. But being human... Peter said, "Uh, Jesus, um, could you at least give us a sense if there's a perk (laughs) to serving God? Are there some, uh, you know, I mean, are we going to get some payment? And uh, we started this project so many years ago. One of the things we used to tell men who would come out and work, and women for that matter, we'd tell them, we want want you to know that your pay is out of this world. (laughs) And it is, because we weren't paying them anything in this world. We were paying them, they were getting uh, eternal benefits. And, uh, and that's, uh, Jesus did say that in a sense. Listen to what he says, verse 29. He said, and I said unto you, now Peter, listen to me, and James and John and all you guys, listen up. Now I know you've sacrificed, and I'm not discounting that. That's a great thing. But I promise you that there is no man, there is nobody, if you have to leave your house, I mean, it, uh, for the cause of Christ, for some reason, if you have to lose your house, or maybe you can't ever purchase a house because you've given your money away or whatever. But if you don't have a house, or if your parents 
Verse 29, your parents turn their back on you, or your brothers, that means your immediate family, your brothers and sisters, or even your wife or your husband. If they turn their back on you, I mean, they just walk away from you, or even your children. If for the kingdom of God's sake, if that happens, he said, let me tell you something. Your patience, your biblical patience, your endurance, your just hanging on to the Bible, just doing the right thing, just week after week and day after day and month after month and year after year and decade after decade. My mind right now is thinking about some precious ladies who've had a, a kind of a rascal for a husband. And boy, I tell you what, I mean, they're, it didn't go just for a few weeks or months. I mean, and not even years, in some cases, several decades. And what, you know what? Their biblical patience pays off, maybe in little small things. But here's what Jesus said, that if that happens... You might lose your parents or your brethren or even your husband or wife. Look at verse 30. You shall receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come life everlasting. He said, now you are going to get some payment that is out of this world. Now, what kind of payments do we get that's out of this world? Well, God calls them rewards. There are at least five crowns or rewards found in Scripture. There's a crown for faithfulness. There's a crown for enduring persecution. There's a crown for giving and crown for teaching. And there's just some wonderful crowns. You say, what good are crowns in heaven so I can really look good? And, and uh, no, it's, we have something to give Jesus. And wouldn't that be great, something to give Jesus for all he's done for us, to give it to Jesus. And so we're able to lay those crowns down at the feet of Jesus because we've been patient. And so these crowns are wonderful. And of course, the greatest gift of all is eternal life. I mean, have my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I'd, I think that would qualify in that part of the verse there where it says that uh, it is in the world life everlasting. <laughs> I mean, what could be better than that? Jesus said, Peter, trust me, you have... You have life everlasting for the rest of your life. It's going to be good. What a tremendous difference to have to say to somebody, for the rest of your life, it's going to be bad. But Jesus said, for the rest of your life, it's going to be good. Now, I think being in the Lord's work and being in church and we're here and we say, yeah, we get that. I, I get that. I, I believe that. I, that's me. I, I believe that. There's going to be rewards. And I I'm, you know, I'm looking for those rewards, and I just keep serving God, and I want to be faithful, and I just know those rewards are coming. But I want you to look at this verse again, verse 30. The first part of that verse says, the last part of that verse says, life everlasting in the world to come, afterlife. But then he said, in this present time. What? Really? Wow. He said, patience pays. It pays because you have eternal rewards. It pays because you have crowns. It pays because you have eternal life. You've hung in there. You've followed the word. You've been accepted Christ as your Savior. But it is also personal ones in this life. Really? Wow, what kind of things does he talk about here? He said, you get the grace of God. You get the comforts of the Holy Spirit. You get the blessed privilege of a close relationship with the Lord. And I tell you one thing, it is a tremendous feeling to wake up in the middle of the night and to know you're close to the Lord. I don't know what it is about middle of the night stuff, but uh, it sure exaggerates everything. I mean, uh, you know, if it's cold, it's 30 below, you know, in my room. If it's hot, it's, you know, 150 in my room. It, something about wake up in the middle of the night just exaggerates everything. But it also exaggerates the sense that, you know, this is bad or this is not good and you know, but thank God for the peace of God in the middle of the night. Those are great benefits. The benefits of the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the great grace of God, the strength of God, the power of a good conscience. I mean, these are things that money can't buy. And Jesus said, I will promise you, if you will have biblical patience, you'll do the right thing. You'll do the biblical thing. You'll be patient. You'll wait on God. You'll do the ethical thing. You'll do the moral thing. You'll do the legal thing. If you do the right thing, then you're going to be rewarded, not only in eternal life, yes, and not only in crowns and rewards, but thank God you're, there are blessings now. I mean, manifold 
I mean, it, so many I couldn't, even, I couldn't even talk about. I mean, just manifold blessings. And uh, I can tell you that after being in the ministry now for all these years and being here in this area and seeing all these manifold blessings and uh, uh, almost 50 uh, manifold blessings of grandchildren and manifold blessings, yes. Uh, a guy told me the other day, he, said, he just looked at me and said, man, I, I feel so sorry for you at Christmas time. I said, yeah, it is. It's terrible in one sense, but I said it is an absolute blast to... Uh, to open all those presents up. And the other day I just realized, you know what, I'm going to the, I'm going to the grave broke. I mean, I am. I, the only thing I'm going to have on is some clothes, I hope. And uh, I, mean, that, I mean, that's it. So I'm picking out my suit because I've taken nothing else. I mean, that's it. And uh, that's okay because, praise God, we want to live for God while we're here. Take it to the bank, Jesus said. I want you to take it to the bank. I want you to know this, that you are blessed if you'll be patient. You know, the history books are filled with stories of gifted people whose talents were overlooked, but their patience paid off. About, uh, what, maybe 60, 70 years ago or so, Kansas City, there was a young man by the name of Walt Disney. He was fired by the Kansas City newspaper because he simply had no good ideas. As a result of losing his job, he had no place to stay there in Kansas, and so he became acquainted with a local church, and they let him sleep in the basement. The only thing was that basement was infested with mice. He tried to make the best of it, and he even named one of the mice Mickey. Walt Disney there in the basement of that Kansas City church. And the rest, of course, is history. Yes, patience pays off. All right, number four, recall the Lord's blessings and then live in the joy of that. Patience pays. Number five, realize the Lord's purpose and live in the sense of that. Now, part B of verse 11, so we've gone through the first part. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. Ye have heard of the patience or endurance of Job. You have heard. That is common knowledge. History's rock star of patience, Job. Even the lost talk about Job. <laughs> Patient is old Job. And by the way, a little footnote here about this little statement. Um, you know, and those of us in our church, we know that we are in a battle for the Bible. We are in a battle for the legitimacy and the inerrancy of Scripture. I mean, just about every month, there's a new version coming out, and unfortunately, many of them are not accurate, not true to the original manuscripts, and they are just, um, for the most part, they're just not worth the time to look at them. But there is a battle for the Bible and the liberals, and one of the things that they say, the liberal, uh, anti-literal mindset says that Job was nothing more than a fictitious poem, and he was just a, a, a character out of, you know, folklore. No. What a wonderful thing to have the New Testament validating the fact that Job was a real person. And so it's wonderful because the Old Testament validates the new and the new validates the old. Here, Pastor James says, everybody knows that Job was real and he was a patient man. He's just as real as you and I. You've heard it. You've heard it. By the way, wouldn't it be great if our society would hear about Job and the great Bible characters? Don't you thank God for our vice president? Our vice president said, I have a firm belief in Jesus Christ. And he said, I will tell you, number one, I am a Christian. And number two, I am a politician. Now, thank God for men like that. We can talk about, we, we would say, if we were talking like this, we would say, hey, have you heard about the patience of Mike Pence? Have you heard about the patience of Job? A whole lot better than talking about the Kobe Bryants of this world. I think we ought to talk about Job, and we ought to talk about David, and we ought to talk about men of God, because he was such a great example. 
An example is what we're looking for. Dr. Albert Schweitzer, famous medical missionary, was once asked, what's the best way, what's the wise way to raise children? He said, there are three ways to raise children. By example, by example, and by example. And that's exactly what God is saying here. He said, have you seen the example of Job? Now, as far as I know, Job didn't preach any messages. Now, people might say about Pastor Tim, boy, I tell you what, he really preached a good one today. Or he sure laid an egg, and uh, that was about as big as an ostrich egg. Well, all right, and uh, next time you get to preach, and we'll see what kind of egg you lay. But, uh, but the deal is, I don't know about Job. He didn't preach. <laughs> I mean, what is it about Job? He was patient. What? You mean the whole Bible talks just about a guy who was patient? Not about Pastor Tim Pollock, the one who preached there. No. I mean, someday someone might say something good about me, but Job, it was his character that they held up. They said, this was a patient man. I mean, you cannot, you've just never seen such a patient man as Job. Now, I want you to notice the next part of that statement. You have heard of the wonderful example of Job. By the way, again, you cannot just, there's no way to estimate the power of a good example. A good example is just amazing. You just don't realize how, how much you're telling people just by being faithful and getting up and being moral. And, and uh, just a good example is a powerful example. And that's what God's saying here. Job was a great example. But then notice what he says. Look at the next part of that verse. And have seen the end of the Lord. You have seen the end of the Lord. You say, the end of the Lord? What? God's not dead. He's not come to an end. No, that's not what that means. It is the Greek word telos. We've heard that word before. It just means the, the finishing of something. When a, when a painting would be done, they would say telos or it, uh, telos. It is done. It is finished. When Jesus was on the cross, he said a form of that to telestai. It is finished finished. It's a masterpiece. And this is what it say, the masterpiece of the Lord. The purpose of the Lord was fulfilled in the patience of Job. Job said, I'm just God's billboard. That's all. Every day I wake up, I live a patient life by his grace and I become an example for the Lord. He said, and that's exactly what that little statement means. It means a purpose, a goal achieved, a purpose realized now, Job was an amazing guy. I mean, he was. He was a loving husband. He was a good, faithful father, a man of moral integrity. And yet God let him go through this incredible adversity because God was wanting him to get a larger platform. And his difficulties, his trials just gave him uh, a, a a, a strength to be able to talk about his life. And so that's what he did there. And that's exactly what he did. Job has been preaching to us. By the way, the book of Job was the oldest book, not the uh, oldest in, uh, in what happened. That's, of course, Genesis chapter 1, but actually the oldest in the fact it was written down. The book of Job, parts of the book of Job, it's said, were actually written in Sanskrit. I mean, the book of Job was an old book. And for these uh, thousands of years, we're still talking about the patience of this amazing guy. He was so patient. It says he endured. You'd say he had a fatalism type mindset. I heard about some Harvard professor this week. It said, you know, the problem with America right now is the evangelical Christians because of their fatalism. They feel like that, you know, that we're going to die anyway. <laughs> brother, that's not fatalism. That is Christianity. That is realism. It always uh, tr it, it, uh, just intrigues me. Everybody always talks about saving lives. We're going to save lives. Um, well, let's, with, with the, at the risk of being inelegant in my speech, <laughs> um, let me just say, you do not save a life. I promise you, you postpone death. I mean, You'd say, well, they're going to, we, we saved a life. So let me get this right. They don't die at 75, they die at 85. Now, I'm all for that. I'm getting closer to that all the time. 
Hallelujah. I'm all for, you know, getting a little longer. I mean, let's keep the grim reaper over there. I don't want to see that guy. But folks, fact is, I mean, nobody saves a life. Jesus saves a life. Jesus saves a life. We just postpone death. That's all we do. And thank God for those good doctors and others who, with the blessing of God and the favor on medicine and all that, are able to do that. But it says here that Job, he endured not with a fatalism, not with a worldly resignation. No, the whole time he was working and waiting on God. I mean, he lost his money. He lost his family. It was terrible. And yet through it all, he just was patient. Did he struggle? Absolutely he struggled. And yet he just kept holding on to the promises of God. And that's what biblical patient is. It's saying that though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But he got it at the end. In Job chapter 42 and verse 5, he said, I got it. (laughs) Verse 5, he said, I've heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. He said, I've always heard how good you are. Always heard about how smart you are. Always heard about how wonderful God is. But he said, but now mine eye sees it my spiritual eye. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. He said, God, I get it. Took him a while. But even when he didn't see it with his eyes, with his spiritual eyes, he still hung on to the promises of God. And the Bible says he didn't sin with his mouth. Now, it wasn't like uh, Job was a perfect guy. He had his issues. But he just came to a point where he said, you know what? Jesus is all I need. Someone once said, when everything else is gone, it's great to get to the point when you find out that only God is necessary because God is enough. I like what my Bible teacher in Bible college used to say, Dr. Eli Haru, and he was from Norway. He had an interesting uh, little accent, but he'd say, poor me, all I have is God and he would make fun of us uh, Bible students because we were always complaining about something. And he'd say, poor me. All I have is God. All I have is God. Oh, yeah, guess what? Hey, I've got God. I've got everything. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. And that's what God is saying here. You've got God. Realize in through all of this thing, the end of the Lord, the purpose of the Lord, biblical patience sees that there's a purpose. Now, I'll guarantee it, it's hard to see sometimes. There have been some times in my life where the pain was so hard, I just couldn't see the end of it for at all. I mean, I mean, it took years and maybe still don't know the end of it, but thank God you can get to a point where you see the end of it. The tremendous cleric, Augustine, wrote a sermon. The sermon was entitled, The Pure Love of God. And in the sermon, he proposes a fictitious um, deal that God makes with people. Here's the deal. God proposes a deal. I will give anything you want. You can possess anything. Anything you want, you can have. Nothing you don't want, you don't have to do. Except for this one thing. You will never see my face. You will never feel me. You'll never know me. But every desire you want, you can have it. And everything you don't want to do, you don't have to do one bit of it. But here's the deal. You'll never see my face. Which of you would take that deal? I will take the world if anything I wanted or God. No. He said, you know when you have the pure love of God when you say, I will not take that deal. I will not take that deal. And that's what happens when you see the big picture. Job said, I've seen the big picture. I've got it. I've seen the end of the Lord. I get the sense of what's happening here. I am, God's got a plan here through all of this. I can be patient because I've seen the end of the Lord. Why should we be patient? Because patience pays, number four. Number five, why should we be patient? Because God is doing something, and 
if we'll be patient, we'll get that. We'll sense that. And then finally, number six, remember the Lord's character and live in the mind of that. Look at the last part of verse 11. We'll read through all verse 11. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. You have seen the end of the Lord. Now look at this part. That the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. When does patience come? When I know that God's got me. He's got me covered and I can trust Him. You know, when you can't understand somebody, but you trust their character, that's a great point to be at. Because there are times when you just, you know what, I don't, I don't understand how they're doing it, why they're doing it, but I'll tell you one thing, that is one godly woman. That's one godly man. You get a sense of, well, we can trust them because, you know, maybe they may not be perfect, they may not do everything exactly right, but I'll trust them. And when we trust God, when we trust His attributes, and that's what it's saying here, because God is pitiful and because God is of mercy, then I can be patient because God would never leave me and hang me out to dry. He just doesn't do that. God will never do that. Now, some of us get the idea sometimes we're all alone. And I must admit, there have been a few times when I kind of get this you know, pitiful sense that I'm all alone and nobody really cares about me. And uh, I think uh, I feel marooned, you know, on an island like that. Was that Tom Hanks movie or something, you know, or whoever that was? And I'm marooned. Where's God? And God says, I'm here. I've here, been here all along. And God allows us to wonder about Him. But as we ask these questions about God, He just confirms it with His wonderful character. There are three, at least three questions that Job asked God. In fact, the book of Job was amazing because there's so many questions. If you want to have a wonderful study, go through the, all the questions that Job asked in the book of Job and all the questions that God asked the rest of his knothead friends, I wouldn't worry about them. But uh, anyway, uh, here are three questions Job asked. Job chapter 3 and verse 11. Why died I not from the womb? I mean, by the way, that goes down to the very essence of the purpose of man. I mean, you can't get any more core question than can you? Why, did, why am I alive? What is my purpose for being here? And God was saying, look, You've got to trust me in this. I've got a plan for your life. You're not just my t- punching bad. You're here to give glory to God. There's a second question that Job asked, chapter 9, verse 12. How should a man be just with God? How is it possible to ever please God? Our poor little friends over there in many countries, they, will, they try to please their God. They'll put little oranges on their mantle. You go into these homes here, even in America, that come from uh, Eastern religions, and they'll burn incense. They're trying to please God somehow. Is there a way to please God? Is there a way to please my God, my Buddha, or whatever? Many of us ask the same thing about God. Is there a way to please God? Oh, I'll try to please God by, by uh, you know, getting baptized, and certainly that's a pleasing thing, but we have all these concepts about pleasing God. And the answer is no. The truth is there's no way to please God, a just God, without having our sins forgiven, without having them justified by the justifier, the one who can make us as though we have no sin. And that's the answer Job found out, that because God is so just and because God is so holy and wonderful, I found out that no man can't do it on their own. They need a Savior. And then there's a third question, Job chapter 14, verse 14. If a man die, shall he live again? Now, these, this is a better question than maybe the other ones, much more noble. Because too many people today just put their head in the sand and say, you know what? I'm not getting worried about the afterlife. I've got too much to worry about right now. What? How crazy. We would tell a person like that, you know, it's like a person not you know, preparing for end of life or retirement. I mean, that is so silly. Why in the world would you just act like there's no, you're going to come a time when you're not working? That's silly. You're just putting your head in the sand. And that's what we say to people who don't realize there's an afterlife. I remember talking to a man not too long ago. He was 
he was probably in his mid-80s, and I told him, start talking about the Lord. He said, I don't believe in that stuff. I said, you don't believe in it? What does that mean? He said, I just don't believe in it. I said, so that, does, that makes it not real? <laughs> it was interesting. He just kind of caught me off guard. It just kind of irritated me. It's like, so let me get this straight. Because you don't believe in it, it's not real. Wow, what kind of crazy, he said, I believe in science. Well, that's the most unscientific thing I ever heard of right there. Just because I don't believe in it, it's not true. Folks, come on now. And that's what, Paul, that's what Job was saying here. He at least said, I know there's an afterlife and I want to live. How can I live again? How is it possible? And since this whole little passage is about Job here, Job answered that question. He said, then I realize God is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Very pitiful. That is such a great phrase there. The actual word means many and bowels, like stomach, your, your insides. Now, to the Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, the bowel was the, the, uh, the heart, the seat of emotions. Because people, you know, if they, if they felt something, sometimes their tummy would tingle. And so they would say, you know, we say we feel it in my heart. You know, uh, here just a few weeks ago, I had the joy of um, our 10-year anniversary, and it was a, a unique one because of the lockdown, but, and uh, we, it was so blessed. We had uh, dear brother Bruno came over and sang Spanish love songs there to us both. We were sitting there having dinner out in my front, our front lawn there, and uh, one of the Spanish love songs was, I love you with all my bowels. I love you with all my stomach, and uh, no, it said, I love you with my corazón, uh, my corazón, my love, my heart, and, and uh, one of the songs, I said, honey, what does it mean? She's not real great at Spanish, but she said, I think it means uh, lots of kisses. I said, oh, okay, I like that song, and uh, lots of kisses, but you know what? Here, he says, the Lord is very pitiful. It means many bowels. That means... His heart is so big, you just can't even explain how big the heart of the Lord is. His heart is so big, big enough, so the whole world can be saved. The whole world. The point here is that God's multifaceted capacity to love everybody, just to love everybody, He feels things deeply and greatly. And then notice the last part of that verse. Not only is he very pitiful, he has this huge capacity for love, but he's tender mercy. Not just mercy, tender mercy. The mercy of God, the mercy, God not giving us what we deserve. What an amazing thing to have the mercy of God. God has illustrated his mercy from day one. In the Old Testament, there was this wonderful illustration called the Day of Atonement, and it was the place and the time when they would come and sprinkle the blood of a lamb on the mercy seat and God would accept that. It was all a symbol of the fact that because of the shed blood of His Son, He was granting mercy to His people. The fact is, here, God is a merciful God. He is a merciful Savior. And those who know God, and if you know Him for any length of time at all, you know He is a merciful God. He is a merciful God. God knows the way that I take, Job said. He knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, he'll come forth as gold. Here, Job says, I can trust God because he's got this heart that's so big, it's this huge heart. I can trust God because he has mercy. He's, his very name means mercy. He's tender, gentle in his mercies. He's ever merciful. And Job said, I realize that if I'm going through a trial, God's just refining me. He's just making me gold. I'll come forth like gold. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about that verse. He says, the refiner is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. <laughs> God's a refiner, not an arsonist. Sometimes we look at God and say, God, you're burning me. And God said, no, I'm refining you. And I promise you, I've got my hand on the thermostat. 
And I'm not going to allow that to get too hard, but it's hot enough to refine you. And how do we know it's going to be all right? Because he's a merciful God. When I see the attributes of God, the tender mercies of God, the beauty of God, then I can make it through this world. You and I go through lots in this life, and the only way to make it is to have biblical patience. It's a combination of not giving people what they deserve. It's uh, getting through and not being negative. It's seeing the bright side of things. It's hanging in there. It's hold on to the promises of God. It's watching the examples of others. It's, uh, it's all of these things and more. It's asking the Holy Spirit for its strength. But really, it comes down to the fact, and this is what we end with, it comes down to the fact that you can trust God because He is a merciful God. You can trust His nature. You can, we can trust Him because of His attributes. Corey Ten Boom once said this. Corey Ten Boom, who had to go through so much during World War II as a Jew, and Corey Ten Boom took care of those precious Jewish people, and it was some dark days. Here's what she said about God and His attributes. She said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away your ticket and jump off the train. You just sit there and you trust the engineer. <laughs> you trust the engineer. And that's what I'm saying to each of us here this morning, brothers and sisters. I'm saying we got to trust the engineer because sometimes... This world is like a dark tunnel, but we are going to trust the refiner. He, the refiner is never far from his gold. His hand is on the dial. Life is a race, and as such, we run it with biblical patience. I'm going to end this morning with a little piece. It touched my heart, and I believe it will you. It's a story of a young man who was in a race and wanted to give up. Quit. Give up. You're beaten, they shout and plead. There's just too much against you, you know. This time, you can't succeed. And I start to hang my head in front of failure's face. My downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. Hope fills my weakened will as I recall that scene. For just the thought of that short race rejuvenates my being. As children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope, each thought to win that race, or tie for first, if not that, at least make a second place. Their fathers watched from off the side, each cheering for his son. Each boy hoped to show his dad that he would be the one. The whistle blew, and off they went, young hearts and hopes of fire, to win, to be the hero there was each young boy's desire. One boy in particular, his dad was in the crowd, was running near the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field across a shallow dip, the little boy who thought to win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his hands flew out to brace, and mid the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. So down he fell, and with him hope he couldn't win it now. Embarrassed, sad, he only wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and get in that race. He quickly rose, no damage done, behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his mind and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself, to catch up and to win, his mind went faster than his legs, and he slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before with one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I shouldn't try to race. But in the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face. The steady look said again, get up and get in that race. So he jumped up to try again, 10 yards behind the last. If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight or ten, but trying so hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat! He lay there silently, a tear dropped from his eye. No sense running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why even try? The wheel to rise had disappeared. All hope had fled away. 
so far behind, so ever prone, closer all the way. I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I'll live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and get in that race. With borrowed will, get up, it said. You haven't lost at all. For winning is more than this, to rise each time you fall. So up he rose and ran once more. And with a new commit, he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. Still he gave it all he had and ran as though to win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind in hope to win, he still ran to the end. They cheered the winning runner as he crossed. First place, head held high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line, last place, the crowd gave him the greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, unproud, you would have thought he won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he sadly said, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said, because you rose each time you fell. And now, friend, when things seem dark and hard and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my race. For all of life is like that race with ups and downs and all. And all you have to do to win is rise each time you fall. Quit. Give up. You're beaten. They shout in my face. But another voice within says, get up and get back in the race. And we are here as a church. We are here as a family. We are here to remind ourselves that it is a race that we're in and we are in it till the end. And thank God we have his grace. I'd like each of you to bow your heads with me, please. Our heads are